question. Have you ever gotten lost? I can remember three times in my life when I've gotten lost. Now, I'm sure there are more than three, uh, but I can certainly remember at least three times getting lost. The first was as a little guy. Um, we were at, if I recall correctly, we were at the Kmart in Merrillville, uh, and we were shopping. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I have two brothers and a sister, and when we would go to Kmart, we would abandon our parents as fast as we could. There was one aisle we had to get to. Want to guess what it was? The toy aisle. That's exactly right. And we would take off. And my mother's shaking her head up now. Yes, yes, that's what they did. They would, we would run away from mommy and dad as fast as we can, and we go to the toy aisle. And um, so one day we're doing this, and I, I recall that uh, I, I was lost. I, I didn't know I was lost. But apparently I was lost because I heard my name over the loudspeaker. Would John Cornett please come to the front of the store? How do they know me? I was lost. Didn't realize it, but I was lost. Second time I remember being lost was uh, in uh, uh, Chicago. My family had gone to uh, the city of Chicago to do kind of like an architectural tour, just kind of do some touristy things. And so we're walking around in downtown Chicago, and we are looking for something. We are looking for the tallest office building in the time, looking for the tallest office building in the world. And we couldn't find it. It is the tallest office building in the entire planet. And we're walking around doing this. You see it? No. Where do you think it is? I don't know. should be up there somewhere. Tallest office building, we can't find it. We are like walking all around downtown Chicago with our eyes pointed to the sky, trying to find the Sears Tower. Couldn't find it. We were lost. We didn't know it, but we were lost. Third time I got lost was also in Chicago after a White Sox game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Southside. That bad Leroy Brown. Um, but uh, we... Uh, we're, we're lost. I got lost. I went to the Sox game. The Sox game got out a little late. Dark outside, 10.30 at night. <laughs> I'm in my car driving around the south side of Chicago going, where am I? I thought I knew where I was. And in a way I did, but in a way I didn't. And I was nervous. I was scared. Okay? I was lost. And up until the point that I realized I was lost, I didn't know I was lost. Have you ever gotten lost? See, part of the problem with being lost is when you don't know that you're lost. When you don't realize that you're lost. That's a scary feeling when you find out that, yes, indeed, you are lost. Well, today we're talking about being lost. Um, we're talking about being spiritually lost. Because in a way, we're all, at some point in our lives, spiritually lost. We've been studying the book, The Prodigal God, by Timothy Keller. And uh, we've been going through, we've got Bible studies that are meeting throughout the week. Uh, we've got dozens of people involved in Bible studies on this book. Uh, also, I'm preaching through uh, some sermons based on the book this, uh, these Sunday mornings. A couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, how, um, uh, we talked about the beginning of the book. We talked about the audience to whom Jesus was speaking. He was talking to Pharisees and, tax and uh, teachers of the law, as well as sinners and tax collectors. And so he's talking to these different groups of people, and he tells them a story. And the story that we're talking about is the parable of the prodigal son. It's probably the most famous of all of Jesus' stories. It's the one that people kind of 
understand, and, and even when you talk about someone being a prodigal, it goes back to the story Jesus told about how someone got lost. Um, we looked at the people around Jesus, the bad people, the sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes and things like that. Those were the bad people. And we also talked about the good people, the, tax, the uh, teachers of the law, and we talked about the Pharisees, people who looked up to the religious elite of the day, the pastors, the preachers, the, the priests, uh, the professors. Um, we're talking about the, the elite of the religious people of Jesus' day. Uh, now, when we hear this parable, we tend to think of the younger son, the prodigal son. That's why we call it the parable of the prodigal son. It's the younger son, the one who demands his father's inheritance. Father, I wish you were dead so I could have my money now. I want my money right now. Give me my inheritance now. And so the father gives him his inheritance. He goes away and he squanders it in a foreign land. He goes to Vegas. All right, he goes to Vegas and he, he wastes it all. He wastes all this money and uh, a famine hits the land and he has no money. He's got nothing to do. He hires himself out to feed pigs. And eventually he comes to his senses and says, I got to come back home. I got to go home. And he turns and he goes home and he practices his speech. He's got the speech he's going to tell his father. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve to be called your son. I, I just make me like one of your hired men. I'll, I'll live in town and I'll come in and I'll work during the week. Uh, and, uh, and, and you can just pay me a wage and I'll go back to my home. But I don't deserve to live here with you as your son. I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. So he goes off to Vegas, parties it all the way. He returns home expecting to be shunned in shame. But instead, he receives unconditional love and grace and forgiveness. It's an amazing story of redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration. But it's a mistake to focus solely on the younger son. Because it's not a story of one son. No, Jesus says a man has two sons. And they're both lost. And today we're going to talk about the older brother. We're going to talk about the older son and how the older son was lost. We're going to focus and see how he was lost too. And what Keller says is we need a new definition of lostness, of what it means to be lost. Because we don't really understand what lostness is really all about. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke 15. If you didn't bring a Bible, but there should be one in the pew in front of you, you can grab that Bible. Uh, turn to Luke 15, verses 25 through 32. Grab your Bible, grab your bulletin. And on page three of your bulletin, you'll find the handy dandy outline. and You can fill in some blanks. It's a great way to uh, keep track of what's going on and, and to remember what the sermon's all about. Or it's a great way to tell your neighbor, hey, when he gets to the last one, wake me up. No, 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 don't do that. Um, but today we're going to talk about the older brother at home who was just as lost as the younger brother who left. First blank on your outline. First blank on your outline is what does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost? Look at Luke 15, starting in verse 25 through 28. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother was became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
So the older brother is out working in the field. Okay, it's an agricultural society. The father owns a lot of land. He goes out. His older son has stayed home. Younger son went away, squandered everything, partying with prostitutes, living it up in the big city. Now he's come back home. Older brother doesn't realize that younger brother's come back home. Older brother's out in the field working his fingers to the bone. He's sweating in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And so the end of the day comes. He's finally done working in the field, and he comes back home. And here he comes up to the house, and he hears Cool and the gang in the background. Celebrate good time. Come on, right? Everybody raising the roof. Woot, woot. Everybody's having a great time. There's a party. He hears music and dancing. I don't know what dancing sounds like, but he hears it, and he's not happy. He becomes very angry. He asks somebody, What's going on? Because can you imagine if you are the father, okay, and your son has run away and you don't know where he is, you don't know if he's even alive, and all of a sudden he comes back home? I mean, in the time that he's gone, are you throwing parties? No, you're worried sick to your stomach. Is he alive? Is he coming back home? Is he ever coming back? My son is gone. I'm afraid that he's dead. And so what happens is the son comes home and the father throws a celebration. The father throws a party. We're talking like bounce houses and stuff, okay? He's throwing a a huge party for his kid who's come back home. And so there have been no parties up until now. And so here comes the older son coming up and he's like, wait a minute, why are we having a party? This is odd. And he asked one of the servants, servants outside just hanging out, you know, one of the caterers. And uh, he says, um... What's going on? Well, your younger brother's come home. Your father's killed the fattened calf, and we're having a party. <laughs> Say what? You see, the reason it's called the fattened calf is because there's only one. And we're talking like the prized cow. We're talking about the, the big one, the, the, the one that you make all kinds of good stuff out of. We're talking ribeyes, Jerusalem strips. There was New, no New York. Um, but uh, we're talking like... You know, veal parmesan, we are cutting up the cow and having a party. Okay? The older brother becomes very angry. What? What are you talking about? He, he came home? He's alive and he came home? And you're having a party for him? You're having a, a party for him? The father was so relieved, so thrilled to have him back safe and sound that he invited the entire community to come have this party. He invites everyone in town. Come on, we're going to party. No expense was too great. No party was too extravagant for the son. He couldn't wait to throw this party. He was so glad that his son had come back home. The father is ecstatic. This is the greatest day in the father's life. His son, whom he thought was dead, is alive. This is the greatest day in his entire life. And the older brother, (laughs) very angry. And he refuses to go into the party. He sits outside. He is a literally, he's a party pooper. That's what he is. He's a party pooper. I'm going to hang out here. I'm not going in there. Can't believe this. Here I am my entire life. I've never left. Never done anything wrong. Disobeyed him perfectly. I can't believe this. He's angry. He's angry with his brother and he's angry with his father. You know, the father goes out to him. We tend to think that the father, you know, he has mercy and compassion and grace on the younger son when he goes to the younger son and welcomes him back home. 
he goes to the older son as well. He has to go to the older son and tell the older son, please come into the party. Please come into the celebration. This father is lowering himself. He's embarrassing himself. Could you, how many of you have ever thrown a party? All right, we've got some party throwers. Okay. Now, could you imagine throwing a party? Everybody shows up. Everyone's having a good time. You're walking around. glad. Hey, good to see you. Hey, glad you're here. Oh, wait a minute, everyone. Hold on one second. I got to go outside. Uh, I got to leave for a few moments. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, it's your party, and yet you've got to leave. And why do you have to leave? It's because your party-pooping kid is outside and refuses to come into the party. And so you've got to go outside, and you've got you to plead with him. You've got to beg him to come into the party. And that's what the father does. He lowers himself. He embarrasses himself by leaving the party to go out. And the angry, the angry older brother, the angry older son is angry for a very important reason. You know, we think of the older son as being obedient. He's one of the good guys. He's a good person. He does what he's supposed to do. He goes out and works in the field like he's supposed to. He doesn't leave home. He stays home right where he's supposed to be. He never runs away. He doesn't waste the father's things. But you know what? He's lost. And you may be thinking to yourself, how could he be lost? He was right there at home, right where he belonged. He was spiritually lost. You see, he didn't even know he was lost. He didn't go off like the, like the, older, like the younger brother. He didn't go off like the younger son and waste all his father's stuff. He didn't go living a life of sin and debauchery. No, he's a good person. Yet He stayed at home where he belonged, but he was just as lost. Now, how is that possible? How could that be possible? How can the good kid be lost? Well, when you look at the original audience to who was listening, to whom Jesus was telling the story, you think about, you've got the Pharisees, uh, I'm sorry, you've got the tax collectors and the sinners, and it's obvious who they are. Those are the younger brothers, right? They're the sinners, the bad people. Those who do whatever they want and, and they don't live their lives for God and, and, and you know, they're, they're the sinners. We know what sin looks like and we can identify them. Those are the sinners. Now, the good people, that's us. We do what we're supposed to do. We go to church. We drive the right car. We wear the right clothes. We say the right things. We do the right things. We're very obedient. We're very good. We're good people. That's what good people do. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do these things. And we do these things. We do these other things. And we do this and we do that. Because we're good people. See, Jesus was referring to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious elite, the good people. And he's saying to them, you guys are just as lost as these sinners and tax collectors. Wait a minute, what? Yeah, you, you're just as lost as these prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus, we're the good people. You should be hanging out with us. We're the good ones, the good children. You see, religious people can be just as lost as sinners who need to repent. Not because of their bad behavior, but because of their self-righteousness. Now, that may sound confusing. You know, I'm not supposed to leave home. I'm supposed to stay home. I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to be obedient, right? I'm supposed to do what, what I'm supposed to do, and you're right. But it's not for the reasons that you think. The younger son, he wanted the father's things, and he was bold enough to ask for them. That was the only difference between the older son and the younger son, is the younger son wanted the father's things, and he was bold enough to ask for them. Father, give me my share of the inheritance. The older brother's like, I wish I would have thought of that. 
But the older brother, he also wanted the father's things. The younger son got them by being bad, disrespecting his father and going off. The older son wanted the father's things, and so he stayed close at home. He stayed home to make sure that his father wasn't wasting what was his. Because see, when those days, when you would divide the inheritance, the older son got a double portion than the younger son. So the older son's going to get two-thirds, the younger son's going to get a third. And so everything now belongs to the older son. He's just, he can't have it until dad dies. But everything is his. And so he's going to keep tabs. He's going to keep track on what dad spends because everything he spends is now he's spending his inheritance. So the older brother stays home in order to make sure that the father doesn't waste his stuff. And then when the father welcomes the younger son back into the family, when the father says, you are my son again, do you know what that makes him again? An heir. An heir. In other words, um, yeah, the two-thirds that you were going to get, i got to divide that again. So now you get two-thirds of the two-thirds left over, and he gets one-third of the two-thirds left over. This makes for a very angry older brother. Peggy Mouch did the math. She, she's smart at that stuff, and uh, she did the math. turns out that the older brother would have gotten about, after all is said and done, would have gotten less than 50% of the inheritance. In other words, the younger brother is now getting about 53%. 53% of the inheritance. And the, younger, the older brother can only think of one thing. That's not fair. That's not fair. The father forgives the younger son, welcomes him back into the family, and then the younger son ends up getting more than the older son. It's just not fair. So the oldest son refuses to go into the feast and refuses to celebrate with the family. And the father has to plead with him in order to go in. Again, it's because the oldest son didn't care about the father. He only cared about the father's things. He wanted the father's stuff. We'll talk about the implications of that in just a second. He was lost even though he never left home. And he just didn't realize it. The second blank on your outline is... What are the signs of lostness? What does this have to do with us? I mean, what does this mean for us? We are good people. We're in church on a Sunday morning, right where we belong, praying that the sermon doesn't go too long because the Packers and Bears are playing in a very short order. I won't tell you how long as you all look at your watches. Look at verses 28 through 32. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, notice. He does not say, father he does not say dad he says look you all these years i've been slaving for you and you never and never disobeyed your orders you never yet you never gave me even a young goat so i could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours not my brother by the way your son when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you kill the fattened calf for him my son the father said you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, literally. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There are five signs of lostness that Keller talks about that I want to share with you very briefly. The first sign of lostness is a deep anger. The older brother becomes very, very angry. And why? Because he believed that the father owed him a good life because of his obedience. And we do this too. God, I've been good. Be good to me. Father, I've been good. Give me good things. Father, I'm good. God, I'm good. I'm obedient. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Where's my blessings? 
Answer the prayers the way I answer the prayers I pray the way I want them answered. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Give me a good life. Take me to heaven when I die. You see, when we when we have that attitude, we are just as lost as the older brother because everything we do then is just for whatever we can get out of it. We don't really care about having a relationship with God. We just want the stuff that God can give to us. And what happens when, we, when things don't go our way? What happens when things don't happen the way we feel that they should? What happens when things uh, don't go the way we want them to? We get angry and we get bitter. We get angry with God. Don't I deserve better? I've been good. Don't I deserve better? You know, think about Jesus. He was better than all of us combined, and yet he was treated worse than any of us will ever experience. He suffered and died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. You want to talk about unfair. The only perfect man who ever lived, never sinned in any way, was far better than all of us combined, suffered in a way that we never will have to experience. You know, we don't understand why we suffer. And when we don't understand why we suffer, we get angry. But I believe that God can handle our anger. That God is big enough to handle our anger. And that God loves us enough to gently restore us and gently love us and gently forgive us, even when we're angry. But it's time to stop being anger, angry over the things that we find unfair. You know, just like that father went out to his son, just like that father went out to that son, God comes to us in gentleness and love and forgiveness and says, I want to forgive you. I want to welcome you. I want to bring you into my feast. I want to bring you into my celebration. You are welcome here. Stop being angry. You know, God is full of grace and forgiveness. The point is to stop being angry. Come to the feast and enjoy his forgiveness. The second sign is a joyless and mechanical obedience. A joyless and mechanical obedience. The son says, I've been slaving for you. I, haven't I been obedient? Haven't I done everything you've asked me to? I've been slaving for you. Yes, he was obedient. But it was not because he loved the father. Jesus says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. We obey the father. We obey God. We obey Jesus. Not to get stuff from him, but because we love him. Obedience is not a means to an end. It's not to get what we want. It was, uh, that was why the older son obey, obeyed his father, because he wanted his father's things. He wanted his father's stuff. He followed the rules, not because he loved the father, but because he loved the father's things, to get stuff. And when you do that, when you obey only to get things from God, only to get blessings from God, you will soon lose joy. There is no joy in bargaining with God. That's not the point. There is no joy in following rules because your heart is, fall, or is far from God. And our heart is the source, is, is where our joy is found. If you follow rules to get stuff, you will soon lose joy. But if you obey God because you love God, he will fill your heart with an inexpressible joy. Um, the third sign is a coldness to younger brothers. And this is the one that I see most often in the church. When the older brother says, this son of yours, and refuses to accept him as his brother, and refuses to allow him uh, to be in the same family as him, he is judging him and condemning him, and this is what I see most often in the church. You know, we, he will not recognize this younger brother as his brother. 
He's so angry with his brother that he refused to acknowledge that they're in the same family. Why? Because he felt superior to his brother. He felt morally superior to his brother. And you know what? Those who stay at home and do all the right things and do everything they're supposed to do and they're obedient, not for the right reasons, but to get stuff from God, those who do that look down their nose at those who are far from God. People in churches all over this country, all over this world will look at other people and go, you're not as good as me. You're not as good as I am. I'm better than you. I go to church three times a month. That's right. I tithe eight, seven, six percent every week I'm there. I read my Bible sometimes. I pray for, I pray I'm better than you because I do all these things because I don't leave home and I obey like I'm sort of supposed to. I'm better than you. You ever seen that in a church? Oh, no, no. When we look down our nose at those younger brother types, when we say, I'm better than you, we are guilty of being lost. And we are just as lost as that younger brother who ran away Because our attitude of moral superiority, that pride, that arrogance is as repugnant to God as running around with prostitutes. It is as, that attitude is as repugnant and repulsive to God as the tax collectors who are cheating cheating their own people. The worst of sinners, (laughs) it's not the one you're looking down your nose at. It's the one with the nose. That's the worst of sinners. We end up pushing people away. We end up pushing so many people away because we judge them and condemn them before they ever step foot in the building. We end up pushing so many people away because our hearts are not close to God. Our hearts don't beat with the same things God's heart beats for. God's heart beats for evangelism. God's heart beats for the lost. God's heart beats for those who are far away from him. And he wants us to help people follow Jesus. And too often we end up pushing people away because of our own self-righteousness and our own feelings of moral superiority. And that should not be. That should never be. The fourth sign is a lack of assurance of the Father's love. The Son says, you never threw me a party. You never threw me a party. I don't believe that you really love me, Dad. You didn't throw me a party. He doubted the love of the Father. And you know what? We do the same thing with God. Things go wrong in our lives and we wonder, what did I do? Why am I being punished? Why am I being punished? You know, it's as, as though it all depends on us. As though the God's rewards and blessings or, or, or the bad things we go through in life is all dependent on our actions. It's all dependent on the things that we do. And so when things go wrong, we wonder, why am I being punished? Because we believe that blessings and rewards come based on our good behavior. And so when we believe that, when we believe that it's all based on our good behavior, we wonder, can I ever be good enough? And so we wander around in guilt and shame over our bad choices and sinful behaviors. Have I repented enough? Am I truly sorry enough for everything I've done? It's all based on me. It's all based on my uh, ability to repent. It's all based on my ability to do the right things. It's all based on me and my and I. That's not what it's about. 
we'll beat ourselves up because of our sin, because we believe that God's forgiveness and salvation is based on ourselves, and so therefore we doubt his love. But we have no reason to doubt his love. It's unconditional. His grace is for everyone, and it's free. The fifth sign is an unforgiving judgmental spirit. We look at the sinners of our day with the judgmental spirit of the older brother of unforgiveness, and when we do that, we are just as lost as they are. We are just as lost as the older brother when we judge and condemn other people. When we point out that speck of dust in their eye, all the while there's a plank of wood in our own, we are guilty of being just as lost as the older brother. So what can we do? That's the last blank on your outline. What can we do? We need a better understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a better understanding of what this is really all about. You see, Jesus said that it's the sick who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor, and those who are well don't. But the reality of the situation is that we're all sick. We've all got an illness. We've all got a disease of sin. We've all got an illness and a sickness of sin in our lives, and we all need a doctor. The only difference between those who are sick and realize it and those who are sick and don't realize it is those who are sick and realize it go to the doctor. Those who are sick and don't realize it die. We need a doctor. And Jesus is the great physician who can heal our souls, who can heal our hearts, who can heal our lives. We are all lost, and we all need forgiveness, and we all need God's love, and we all need God's compassion. Whether we've wandered away from home or whether we've stayed at home and obeyed, the difference between those who know they're sick and those who don't is that those who are sick will go to a doctor and those who don't will die. That is the difference between self-righteousness and God's righteousness. Self-righteous people say, I believe, uh, uh, I obey, therefore God accepts me. People who trust in God's righteousness say, God accepts me, and he loves me, and he forgives me, therefore I obey him. It's a relationship based on love, not a relationship based on rule following. God loves me and accepts me, and he welcomes me, and he forgives me, and he loves you, and he welcomes you, and he accepts you, and he forgives you too. Therefore, I will obey him. Self-righteous people can be so bitter and judgmental and angry, but those who trust in God's righteousness are becoming more loving and joyful and forgiving and compassionate. That when we look at other people in their sins and in their failures and in their failings and in their, in their frailties. When we look at other people, the last thing that should go through our minds is, well, I'm glad I'm better than they are. The last thing that should go through our minds is, huh, I know where you're going. The last thing that should go through our minds is judgment and condemnation. The first thing that should go through our minds is you need Jesus. And I know Jesus. And I want to tell you how to find Jesus. Because Jesus can fix your life. And Jesus can change your destiny. And Jesus can fill you with hope and love and joy and purpose and peace. This is the Jesus I know. This is the Jesus I want you to know. He's not here to condemn you. He's not here to send you to hell. He's here to save you and forgive you. And welcome you into the feast. And in a couple of weeks, in two weeks, we're going to talk about that feast. We're going to talk about the feast that we are welcome to. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we believe in him, and repent from our sins, and confess our faith and are baptized, we are forgiven and set free from the consequences of sin. We are welcomed home, but we are not set free so that we can become an older brother. We are set free to love, accept, and forgive other people. 
That's why we are set free. That is why we are saved. You know what? You know who Jesus forgave? You know who Jesus invited to the feast? Those who were going to kill him. Because see, this story was told to tax collectors and sinners, but it was also told to Pharisees and teachers of the law, the ones who were going to accuse him, judge him, condemn him, and execute him. And from the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive the ones who are driving the nails in my hands and my feet. Forgive the ones who have beaten me and bruised me. Forgive the ones who are mocking me. Forgive the ones who are spitting on me, who are insulting me. Forgive the ones who are, uh, who are killing me, who are executing me. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And that's what the gospel is all about. And until we realize it, we are in constant danger of becoming older brothers. So let's do away with self-righteousness. Let's do away uh, with uh, self-righteousness based on insecurity. God's love is secure, and we don't have to fear losing it. Keller says that we are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us. But he is so loving that Jesus was glad to die for us. That is the essence of the gospel, my friends. Our forgiveness and our salvation is not based on our efforts and our obedience. It is based on God's grace and love. And so let us respond by showing that love and grace to everyone we come into contact with, everyone that we meet, younger brothers and older brothers, because they're both lost and they both need to repent and they both need to come home. We need to come home. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing story and for the rich depth of the meaning of the story. And I pray today that you would help us not be like the older brother, but that we would be uh, like Jesus, that we would welcome people into the feast, into your feast, that people who don't know you would get to know you and realize what an amazing God you are. You are holy and righteous, and you are loving and compassionate. Father God, we want to honor you with our lives. We want to have a loving relationship with you based on your grace, not on our ability to keep and follow rules. So I pray today for those who are here who, who maybe never heard the gospel before, who've never heard it explained like this before, who've never uh, had, it, had it said like this before, and they feel lost, but Lord, you want to bring them home. Help us to, to avoid being like the older brother. Help us to do away with judgmentalism, condemnation. It's not our job. Help us to love people and to help them follow Jesus. That's our job. Thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray.